BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a more than just podcast production. So, hey, welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 39. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. We back, baby. We back. And we're also joined by Jaime Lovis Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Who's also back, but not for the same reason. But, you know. <laughs> but you were traveling for business, like like in airplanes and stuff? No, no. Concerts. Concert. Oh, him. him. Sorry. Yeah, I forget you. Do we know it? I thought you were wondering why I was away. I'm no, we knew we knew off. why you were away, but Jaime was saying today he's been <laughs> traveling or something. It, it was it was a effectively three day work trip for uh, for budget meetings. So tons of fun. Hmm. Wow, do you have to like go to a head office and stuff? Or it is, uh, I think, technically uh, one of the main offices. It's not the headquarters. This is over in in Kansas. So I flew into MCI. Kansas City's, uh, Kansas City, Missouri's airport and drove across to the other Kansas to uh, a place called Lenexa. Wait, there's two Kansases? So you went to Kansas City, Kansas as opposed to Kansas City, Missouri? I went through Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas on en route to Lenexa. And Lenexa is probably 30 minutes from uh, the airport in Kansas City, Missouri. Don't you guys have enough names in, in the U.S. to go around? Like, <laughs> You know, I wish I, I wish I had a way to, to take a picture because, you know, I'm, I, I'm diligent in safety. And since I was driving, I couldn't, you know, at 65 miles an hour or whatever it was in the 70 zone, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. I'm passing an Ottawa university. Wish I had a picture oh, really? of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny because I used to sing that song with the, the, when we did the Beatles covers, we used to do that going to Kansas City. Now I'm confused. Where am I going? Right? Anyway. Ottawa university in yeah, Ottawa, one? Kansas. Well, I'm talking about Kansas City. There's, you said there's one in Missouri and one's in ones in Kansas. Yep. Really? Yeah, they're right across the state border from each other. Kansas City, Missouri is apparently, and I'm told this by locals. I apologize to anybody from the Kansas City, Kansas one who feels offended. They don't listen to the show. Don't worry about it. Folks in Missouri are like, <laughs> no. The when you say Kansas City, without any qualification, you mean the one in Missouri because it's 
yeah. much bigger. And when you say Kansas City, you mean the one in Kansas, you say Kansas. Yeah, because oh. the Kansas City, Missouri is where, you know, that's where the, the Royals are. That's where the Chiefs are. That's where the, you know, the, the famous larger version. Yeah, see, that would be confusing, but all that nonsense. It's okay. all part of this weird metro area, though. There's like a lot of people going back and forth, kind of no surprise. Um, are they like separated by a water or something like that, like a river or something? Or there's the Missouri River that I well, would guess is a is a very poor way to divide it. I don't know what the historical division is. The state line is like straight up and down. I don't know oh, how that was okay. decided. I just love the idea of like two groups being like, "No, this is Kansas City. No, this is Kansas City. Well, we're going to keep calling it Kansas. No, we're we're going to keep calling it Kansas City." There's a lot Those of that uh, in in the states. I don't know what Canada's like, but there's, you know, Virginia and there's a West Virginia. Yeah, you got Carolina, North Carolina. North Carolina exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't get it. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, can't you have enough vowels or something to buy a letter or something? <laughs> yeah, anyway. All right, let's move on. Fact check. Fact check. All right, Jonathan, you're up first on the fact check. Fact check. Okay, so you guys were talking about uh, human cloning. You were talking about the the, the made-up Shenzhen convention thing that they had in, in uh, Star Trek Picard a few uh, episodes ago. And we're talking about whether or not there was actually laws around human cloning. So there are laws against human cloning. Depends on the country. There is no... Uh, sort of global accord on human cloning. It really does vary country by country. In Canada, it is fully illegal to uh, clone a human being. Uh, yeah, you cannot clone humans, you cannot clone stem cells, cannot grow human embryos for research purposes, you cannot buy or sell any of that stuff or for human reproductive material. It's just, it's a no-go. Uh, in America, not as much. They're a little more, a little more open about it. Um, and you know, so there are no federal laws banning the cloning completely, but 15 different states ban reproductive cloning and three of them prohibit use of public funds for activities like that, but it is not illegal. So theoretically, depending on which state you're in, let's, let's see if there's anything on, I don't see anything on Washington state here, but, um, yeah, theoretically, there is uh, there's places where you can be cloned and or clone human beings and and grow your own person in the United States uh, and around the world. There are certainly some places. Uh, yeah, so there are a, a sort of a mix of of rules depending on where you're at. But it's it's kind of disappointing when you look at the the list. There's only about seventy countries that are that actually have any laws on the books at all. There's a lot of places where it's just a gray area. What about cloning sheep? Are you allowed to clone sheep? Well, and again, those are fine, right? Because that's for research purposes and everything else. It's the human cloning where people seem to to have a real line drawn. Mm. Yeah, I could imagine. Okay, I wonder why. Anyway, all right, let's move on to the next thing. You quick, you want to get take credit for last week's story? <laughs> no, that's fine. All right, that was just me being a yeah, turd. you were being a turd. Okay, <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, John Pertwee turns out to be the third doctor, and Tom Baker, who some people would say, some would say is my favorite doctor, was the fourth doctor. I remember being very confused about this when I was younger, watching Doctor Who, because they used to be on, um, PBS. They weren't necessarily, I don't know if they were necessarily in order. Somebody who watched it, watches it, watched it back when I was younger probably knows this better than me, because... John Pertree, you'd see you'd see episodes of John Pertree playing the Doctor, and you'd see episodes of Tom Baker being the Doctor. But I remember the big floppy hat and the long scarf, 
that to me was the doctor from from the get-go so um so in my mind it was almost like tom baker was before john pertry but it could be the the thing and the, and the reference to that was the uh the famous the um best batman poll which we'll talk about today i think um and um uh, John Pertwee's son played plays um, Alfred in one of the uh, in the Gotham series, right? Yep. All right, and you're up next, Jonathan, to a little bit of fact check on the Batman movie. Yes. Speaking of Alfred, so you 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 guys were not um, sure who played what, where, and when. So I will just give you the quick the threesome that uh, that you guys were kind of drawn a blank on. So Ray Fiennes played Alfred in the Lego Batman movie. Joseph Hodge played him in. Joker, the uh, the um, more recent iteration starring Joaquin Phoenix, and Jack Bannon plays him on the Pennyworth series right. that is on TV. Yeah. So was was um was uh, I mean if Alfred was in the in the Joker movie, I forget was like was there a Bruce Wayne character in the movie Joker? I haven't seen it. I, I haven't seen. You haven't Joker seen movie the Joker yet. movie yet. I don't really care for Joaquin Phoenix as an actor. I find him to be really um, a lot. So he's a, he's a I, slap I in the face. In words, him. Yeah. Okay. Right. He, he just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. I, I I know people who rave about the how good he was in um, in Gladiator. I found him to be. Oh, um, I hated him in Gladiator. Senior, a scenery, scenery devouring uh, acting monstrosity, but people love that movie. So. Well, I didn't like it. I didn't like him in. Um... I mean, I mean, if that was his intention to be to be like you know an unlikable character in a rogue or whatever in in Gladiator, he did a good job because I really didn't like him in, in that either. So, yeah, you know, I'm, again, and I, I I sat through some of his the, the interview with him on Letterman and when he did that sort of going off you know going off on his out of his mind sort of thing, um, that was a bit strange. Yeah, so you're you're I and I but I did enjoy the Joker movie. I got to say, like the Joker movie, in spite of. Um, in spite of uh, uh, the, the man, and you know, again, separating the art from the man, it was it was a very enjoyable movie. It did remind me a bit yeah, like the, what was that one called, the comedian or whatever the the one where um, uh, the Italian actor Robert De Niro kidnaps or shows up on. He gets oh, it was a king of king, king of comedy. comedy. King yeah, of comedy. It, it, king it, it of comedy. Remind yeah, me very much of that ice. sort of yeah, you know, the sort of Carson-esque scene that they had in the, in the Joker. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't know, I I guess I'm voting with my dollars, as we always talk about. I just feel like I I find the fragmentation, the continued, like, let's just try this and see if it sticks to the wall of the DC filmmaking to be a little uh, difficult to take sometimes. And that, to me, felt like the ultimate version of it, which is, let's just take this one character in isolation away from the duality of what makes him the most compelling thing. And we'll just use it to give Joaquin Phoenix a chance at an Oscar. I, I just I didn't didn't really do anything for him. Yeah, I don't know if that was the, the, the actual intention, but yeah. So I was going to ask. So so is that Joker movie considered canon in the DC universe? No, I don't think so. No, I think it's supposed to be in its own little pocket, All right? Which is probably for the best. Right, cool. But but again, the fact that it was successful and it won an Oscar tied to a DC product muddles the market even more because. That's got to increase somebody's appetite to do more of that, and then what? That like then you end up with an even more fragmented, right? Sort of way of doing things over there, which is yeah, it's it's kind of a catastrophe as is. Right. Okay. So I was going to ask. So so I, I don't know how I ended up in this part of the conversation with Carol the other day, but we're we again start we're talking about the oh I think I was talking about I mean, asking me about what I thought about the the costumes in Strange New World. 
and we, which brings us back to the discussion about the uh, the discovery, latest discovery uniforms with the with the um, unmatching um, hems at the bottom. Um, Carol says it's a waste of fabric. Frankly, she says it's it's a lot of work. It's designed for design's sake. Uh, she says you have to have two front pattern pieces. It takes longer to draft the pattern, longer to sew. She says it's just dumb. Um, and yeah, sake design for the sake of design, and there is no function to it. Like, then she's a forms follow function kind of person. Um, she just said some designer thought it would be fun, and she just thinks it's dumb. So there you go. Hmm. Did you guys see the detail that they, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was on StarTrek.com or maybe one of their social channels. They did a detail shot of the the uniforms for Strange New Worlds. And what looks like uh, sort of, a, you know, little black marks on on uh, the tunics is actually little little uh, Star Trek insignias. Oh, really? Like, yeah, tiny, it's like yeah, super, tiny super, little, super, tiny, like the pattern. Tiny fabric. little, de- yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah really cool. Like, I mean, as somebody, I think, in one of the comments posted, like, this is a nightmare for cosplayers. Well, it's, it's also like, you know, it reminds me of the, the the stylized fabric in the new Supermans. You know, the new Superman movies have that. It's not just a piece of blue fabric anymore. Like, you know, it's sort of it's yeah, textured yeah. or it's kind of like woven or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, yeah, that's... Yeah, it looks like athletic wear or something. Yeah, I mean, that's and you see that now in all of the sort of avengery kind of like, you know, bits of leather and stuff like that used in the in the Captain America you know, costumes and stuff like that, right? And Iron Man, obviously, with the plastic and whatever, but... Yeah, it's really, and even even Moon Knight. I mean, like you know, his costume is kind of intricate too in the way it's put together. And I, I love the fact. So the other guess, the other character, as you're, you've pointed out here, I couldn't, I don't know why I drew, drew a blank on Stephen's last name, but Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, and did you put this more to come? I, I well, I put Mister Knight and and more to come. Yeah, because I was going to ask you today because I'm doing the recap from on Moon Knight again. I didn't know what that other character is called. It's like you know. Oh, when he wears the the suit With that the looks like it's tailored suit. Front? Yeah, looks like a gore. yeah. So that's that's Mister Knight Mr. is is what they call that outfit, Mister Knight, and that's when Stephen takes control and then shifts into the the sort of crime fighter. He's Mister Knight, and yeah, more to come. There's there's we'll talk about that when we do the recap. Well, it is implied as a third character, which we'll we'll get into. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, and then you get some more fact check. Yeah, you guys were talking about how when uh, when Stephen turns into Mister Knight, he sort of pulls these two sticks out from behind his uh, thing and says, "Well, these are neat. What are these for?" Uh, so those are eskimo sticks. Those are uh, those are fighting sticks, and uh, yeah, they're they're a, f- a Filipino fighting weapon. But there was a character uh, in like one of the Marvel or DCs that had something like that. Yep. Yep. There's yeah. Um, oh, it, there's a bunch uh, of different the, characters. The, the that guy use with them. the arrows. Um... No, not the guy. A green arrow. Green arrow. No, well, yeah. This so lots of characters have used them in in different sort of superhero properties. The one in the comic books that uses them is Nightwing. Oh, okay. uh, so that's Dick Grayson post Robin. He he uses a pair of uh, scream sticks to to use as his weapons because he can use them in a non lethal fashion. Obviously, oh, is that the whole point. Oh, okay, okay. Yep, and they're a little bit like Daredevil too. Daredevil has the cane that comes apart, and the cane he can use them as two separate. Um, the of sticks. Cool. All right, and then uh, you got some ghost ma- ghost writer stuff for us. Yeah, we were. Uh, I enjoyed Jaime's uh, talking about uh, ghost writer. It was a like a nice nice '90s poll there. We were talking about uh, what his name was. It's Ketch. Yeah, Danny Ketch was the 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 second incarnation after Johnny Blaze, and then there was. Um, 
Hector Reyes is the third uh, sort of contemporary iteration of Ghost Rider. And just for for uh, completion, the the series that's gotten a lot of attention over the last few years is they've uh, the the latest incarnation incarnation of Cosmic Ghost Rider, which is um, sort of you know Ghost Rider in the future and in outer space, is uh, is actually the soul of Frank Castle, the Punisher, which is kind of it's a if you have a chance to read it, it's a very interesting story because you get all the backstory of the Punisher plus he makes the deal with the devil to become the ghostwriter to continue his his sort of work after his death it's uh it's really cool it's really cool cool all right and, and last thing in the fact check we were talking about or i was talking about fantastic voyage um was a 1966 american science fiction movie created by or directed by richard fleischer and written by harry kleiner based on a story about a couple of guys, Otto Clement and, and Jerome Bixby, right? And, of course, I had the book in grade school, which is why I was confused about the fact that I thought it was by Asimov. Well, it turns out that Benton Books also had the rights to the to the novelization based on the screenplay, because it was a movie first by Irwin Allen. And uh, Isaac Asimov actually wrote it. So a lot of people... Um, it was released six months before the movie, but, of course, I didn't read it in 66. I read it, like, in the 70s, but... Um, people believe the film was actually based on an Asimov book, but it's the other way around. It's, uh, the book's based on, and the same thing, I think Arthur C. Clarke also did a novelization of 2001 with, um, after, it was based, I mean, 2001 was based on a story that he, short story he wrote, but he did go back and do a 2001 Space Odyssey book based on the movie that he and, um, Stanley Kubrick came up with. That was a pretty common thing, I guess, back then. But there you go. So, so if you do read the novel, if that is written by Isaac Asimov. And I guess that's part of Asimov's universe stuff. stuff. Alrighty, and then uh, let's move on to the headlines. Yeah, this was an interesting one. I just this, I think I stumbled across this on on the Facebook. A um, couple of quick things that you can do if you have a Netflix account that most people don't know about. Uh, apparently, there's a hidden menu as well. Um, one of the I don't know you guys if, if you find this, but you can also have it like when you fl- when you flip on a show, it just starts playing. You can actually stop it doing that, um, and then you can also, I believe you can get it to stop asking you if you're still awake, if you're, you haven't nodded off while it's playing the movies, right, or playing the shows. Um, what was the other trick? Uh, uh, the secret menu. You guys know about the secret menu, John? I've, I think I've read something about this before, but I, I must admit I, I completely spaced on all this stuff, so yeah. Yeah, so it's like a, it's one of these up, down, left, right, down, left, right, left, up, up, up. Don't quote me on that. It's not, I'm not reading it. Probably. <laughs> it's going to say... Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it apparently get to get to, to try different things, and um, yeah, you can actually join like a trial program too, and get like uh, advanced advanced features before anybody else. Um, there's one more. Have you tried these things? No, no, I haven't tried them. No, my my uh, TV remote is kind of wonky. I use the Apple TV app for my uh, Netflix. I find that the TV built-in TV app is kind of weird, and the Apple experience is a bit better. So they they basically they pull uh, content into their into their stream right so cool all right and then um i mean you got something about mr hedgehog yeah so sonic the hedgehog 2 has the uh, best opening weekend for a video game movie as it says here on the tin on this uh, link the original sonic the hedgehog movie was uh the previous best opening weekend for a video game movie and Box Office Mojo says that right now the worldwide intake is 160 million. It's a pretty good split of uh, 85 mil domestic and 75 million 
international. So are you saying it had a better opening weekend than Uncharted? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> and World of Warcraft. And Mortal Kombat and, you know, insert video game movie here. Yeah. Hmm. That's pretty good. I think the real test that we're all waiting for is how will the Mario movie debut against the Sonic movie? That's that's really what it's all about for us old Didn't school Didn't they already do fans. a Mario movie? Well, I mean, they did that terrible one back in the day, but there's a new one coming. Remember Chris Pratt's going to be, uh, they, they announced that when we talked about it oh, like months and months He's ago. Be Mario? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it will have inevitable comparisons. And if you were, you know, doing the Mario movie, you would have to hope that it, uh, it can, and it feels weird to say this <laughs> in the Lord's year of 2022, it would be very challenging to compete against Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. There you go. Cool. Fun for the whole family. Fun for the whole family. Right. And Poyo nice. too. Um, yeah, so we were talking last week about the Star Wars Strange New Worlds uh, trailer that had come out, the official trailer. What? You want to try that one again? Why? <laughs> you said Star Wars Strange oh. New Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are Strange New Worlds in Star Wars. There's always Strange New Worlds. <laughs> there are. Yeah. Okay, let's try it again. So the Star Trek, we were talking about the Star Trek Strange New Worlds uh, trailer last week that came that came out last week, and um, but we Jaime had mentioned that there was you know the the lead up to that um, and was you know short little uh, thirty second um, teasers on each of the new characters in case we didn't know who Uhuru was. Huh? Hello, but um, yeah, so the the uh, somebody's compiled a mega uh, trailer which basically has all of the little teasers all the way up and including. The trailer that came out last week. So it's got, you know, Dr. Ambega, and it's got um, Number One, and uh, Nurse Chapel, um, Leonard Nemo. And there's a, there's a bit of, you know, um, introduction by the, the main characters, like Anson Mount and, and Ethan Peck and uh, Rebecca Romain each have, a, each have a moment as well in that. So, yeah, check, just link in the show notes. I'll just link that here if you want to check that out. Um, it's not very long. It's um, probably, you know, maybe five minutes altogether, but... Uh, compiles all of the trailers that have been coming up towards this this uh, reveal. And that's coming up soon, too, isn't it? In May? Yeah. Ancient Wars? Okay. Yep. I believe it overlaps with the last week of Picard. Cool. All right. going to be a busy week for us. Get another twofer. Another twofer. Hopefully, uh, Moon Day will be done by then. Um, over to Hummy. Yeah. For those of us who have not seen The Batman in theaters, uh, we didn't have to wait that long. I believe this is the 46th day afterwards is when... Um, it will be available on HBO Max, and that says April 18th here. So as of this recording, that is Monday. So i got to start I thinking about... I remember seeing somewhere it's coming to Canada as well. Crave. It's coming to Crave, Crave on the same oh, day. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I was... Like, like you, Jaime, I was like pleasantly but a little surprised that it was coming uh, so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd be fine if movies wanted to do this going forward. If they wanted to come to our streaming services in you know six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they must have got a chunk of change from HBO, then I guess, right? Well, HBO is owned by Warner, which owns DC, oh, which okay. owns Batman. So that's uh, vertical integration, my friend. Mm-hmm. As part of the calculus, I think this tips it pretty well. Where I'm like, hmm, between this and Peacemaker. Uh, and oh, yeah, I gotta peacemaker. see if there's anything else that I missed. I'll probably end up subscribing for a one month subscription to HBO Max. Is Dune on HBO as well? It is Warner's because it's, it's on um, man. Okay, Brave. that was a 2021 release, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 
I never did follow up because I ended my subscription in January. I don't remember what they were going to end up doing, but what they did for most of the 2021 movies is keep them up for three weeks to a month and then put them on the shelf for about three months, maybe six months at most, and then put them back permanently as part of the collection is what it, what it seemed to be. I remember Wonder Woman 1984 going through something like that, and I think Godzilla vs. Kong doing the same thing. So I assume that if you miss it during this one month, you'll just have to wait a few more months and then catch it on the, the next part of the cycle when it goes into the, the permanent part of the collection. I think cool. that's how they're doing it. It's all weird right stuff, I assume. All righty. All right, well, piggybacking off of some DC news, there's a story in The Hollywood Reporter that uh, Jesse Martin, who uh, is one of the last surviving original cast members for the Flash series, uh, is going to be the new star of uh, an NBC series called The Irrational. The reason why this is particularly uh, relevant is because we've been talking as even as we got the news uh, a few episodes ago that the um, the CW has renewed the Flash for a season nine. That this could be yet another sort of nail in the coffin for the end of that series. The the Hollywood Reporter article sort of speculates that that the final season could actually be a, tr a truncated one, a shorter one that is meant to sort of wrap things up. And uh, it does say that even though he's going to be working on the series, he's going to appear occasionally as a guest star on, on the flash. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, nine years is a, is a tremendous run for, for a series like that. And I think uh, as much as I've enjoyed it, I feel like I'm, I'm okay with it, it ending its run. And um and this does seem to be another yet another indication that we might be headed in that direction. So be prepared, folks, for the end of the end of the flash coming. Cool. And I think timing wise, it also makes sense, because if they wrapped it up in the not distant future, that would clear the decks of flash versus flash when they're going to do the the flash flashpoint movie that uh, has Michael Keaton and, uh, and and all that coming up in the theaters. So. It, to me, it makes sense timing-wise. Alrighty, well, we're at that part of the show where we start talking about something Star Trek-shaped, and this time we're going to talk about Picard, uh, Season 2, Episode 7, Monsters, and uh, Jonathan will lead off, and then we'll do a recap on Moon Knight as well. So, off you go with the Monsters. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and uh, I believe it was a couple episodes back we were making some references to uh, to Battlestar Galactica and the crossovers with uh, with Star Trek. Well, here we go again. So the episode opens with uh, Picard still wearing his tuxedo, uh, seeming to be in the middle of a psych evaluation, sitting across from Dr. Gaius Baltar, uh, a.k.a. James Callis, who uh, was his uh, was, of course, best known for that that role um it's funny that he's the voice in someone's head as opposed to the voice being in his head i like i like the little little symmetrical right, twist yeah. there mm -hmm. uh but yeah so so picard's sitting there and and it's sort of yeah it's it's presented as sort of a psych eval and um 
the idea is that he's, you know, he's, he's sort of having his experiences probed. We know, uh, you know, as the omniscient viewer that we're inside Picard's mind after he was run over by uh, by Sung in the last episode. And that, uh, you know, this is this is him trying to sort of sort out his his you know what's going on in his mind to try and, and sort of free himself from whatever's haunting him inside. Um I made the mistake, and I'll, I'll just introduce the word spoilers here to say there's a spoiler for a reveal that's coming later in the episode, but I had the closed captioning on, and it explicitly said yeah, uh, when... Yeah. Yeah, it explicitly said when uh, when uh, James Callis was talking and he wasn't you couldn't see his mouth on screen. It said Maurice. And I was like, that is a bad spoiler for what's happening here. It was so easy to put two and two together after that. I, I, didn't, so we, I didn't make the connection personally that it was his dad, but I knew it was I had a feeling it was somebody related to him. Or I'm wondering why mm-hmm. we knew. Are we supposed to know who this person is? It didn't make sense, really, you know. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down in my notes, like, right after that, dad, question mark, because yeah. that made the most sense. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's another one of those moments where you're like, man, think a little harder, closed caption guys, you know, like, it, it could have just been like, doctor, or, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, manifestation of Picard's mind, yeah, exactly. yep. something, but um, yeah, anyway, so we'll, we'll get into the, the more grand reveal of that later on, but that was a bit of a, a bit of a setback for me because obviously it it changes the way you view the episode for sure uh so anyways this this uh this figment of his imagination maurice is uh questioning him and 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 sort of you know sort of probing his psyche a little bit and he sort of says well you know if you're not gonna sort of cooperate why don't you tell me a story based on this and he hands him this this uh object which looks like the sun and so Picard starts sort of narrating the story about the queen with the red hair. And of course, we see him sort of um, flashing back, but in a more sort of dream state to uh, his mom with this crown on and her red hair. And he, as as a young boy, uh, they're painting the windows in the solarium, which, of course, we've seen in previous episodes, the broken pieces of glass and, and the the. The, the solarium where the two of them spent their time at Chateau Picard. They, uh, the two of them are sort of talking and, you know, and she makes a comment that's something to the extent of you're so much like your father. And he says, I don't want to be like, like him. I want to be like you. And of course we've, we've had all these allusions in previous episodes to the fact that Yvette uh, might have some, some mental health issues um, and she sort of, you know, sort of scorns that. And, and we get that sort of allusion to, the, you know, the monster. There's this monster that sort of lurks. Um, we come back out of Picard's mind and, uh, you know, we, we get a glimpse of, of you know, Seven and, and Rafi and Rios all sort of, you know, hovering around him, worried about what's going on. Seven and Rafi say, you know, hey, it's you know, been since last night. No one's seen uh, Agnes any anywhere. I think we need to go to go look for her. They go back to La Serena and they, um, you know, start trying to figure out if they can track her down. And of course, it turns out that they're locked out of the computer system. And not only are they locked out, but they're locked out by some Borg encryption, which uh, immediately has Seven very much on guard. 
Um, we go back to to the clinic where, of course, they're at Teresa's clinic where she is. Uh, she, she's let them in so that they can treat it. Talon is going to go inside Picard's mind using her uh, fancy uh, devices that uh, somehow coincidentally seem to fit like Romulan ears. We'll, we'll get more back on that later <laughs> on, but that was very funny when she like slaps on these yeah. earpieces. Spoiler, yeah, yeah I, th I thought that was very funny. I'm like, well, that's pretty telling. And then, yeah, of course, it, it comes back around later on. Uh, so, of course, she goes inside of Picard's mind, and from there, uh, you know, he's still playing these sort of, um, you know, riddles games with uh, with the Maurice, the doctor, uh, the psychologist who's who's evaluating him. You know, saying there, oh, there's a thousand ways to die down there, and um, you know. Uh, so then, you know, he's sort of in this in this um, you know story that he continues to tell. We see he and y y Yvette, his mom, uh, go down to the to the basement of Chateau Picard, and um, you know they sort of get stuck down there. And um, yeah, it, it, we sort of you know get Talon coming in and and sort of intruding in this this you know really vivid memory, trying to sort of help him. Uh, you know, work his way through it. And of course, it's it's that, you know, the, the monsters have showed up and the monsters have sort of dragged away his his mother. And so he's alone and he's stuck in in the basement by himself. And so he's alone and isolated. His mom's gone. He's he's scared. She sort of says, you know, hey, well, you know, let's let's um you know, let's see if we can work our way through this. We go back to reality, and uh, Rios is is um, <laughs> trying to, you know, explain to uh, Teresa what's going on without uh, spoiling, you know, obviously the fact that they're from the future and, you know, possibly there to save the timeline. And she sort of says to him, you know, hey, it's my clinic. Uh, you know, he's my patient. You know, give me the damn keys. I want to see what's going on. Uh, goes in and is like, sorry, that woman's got pointy earpieces on. He's, you know, shaking what's going on. He looks like he's got to go to the to the emergency room where he's going to die. Rios sort of uh, contacts the, the La Serena and gets this device sent to him that is supposed to, uh, you know, stabilize Picard's brain, gives it to uh, Teresa, and she, she um, uses it to to stabilize it and she's just like you know who are you what's what's happening what here is it? like is this what's, real exactly what's, yeah yeah like what's what, what what am i like what am i looking at here what's what's happening um we go back inside picard's brain and you know he's he's still stuck in the basement and you know the talon is, is sort of working it working through all this with him and and you know sort of saying well you know are you stuck do you want to be unstuck or do you like being here like what's going on they sort of work their way through it the these sort of doors appear into which yvette had gone uh, Talon sort of kicks down the doors, and uh, and we sort of move into the next room. At that point, we cut to to reality again, and we see uh, Queen Agnes. We see Agnes, who is is clearly still uh, being controlled by the Borg Queen through the through the um, the endorphins that she she got from being the the nightclub singer last episode, and uh, she goes and. Um, she goes into this nightclub and um uh sorry am i am i jumping ahead no no you're right yeah 
so she she goes into this nightclub and she's sort of trying to um, figure out what's going on there. And uh, oh no, no, that is further along. I'm I'm jumping ahead. I guess the first part is where they see her, right? They're they're trying to track her down. It's where they. Um, well, they see her on the scanner or whatever. They see her on the screen, oh, the video, right? The, first, yeah, that, that's the yeah, yeah. So that's the first okay. part before she goes into thing. Okay, so that's that part. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead there, folks. Uh, we go to uh, back inside Picard's mind. Uh, you know, we we're still dealing with this metaphor of there's a monster, there's a monster. We hear this banging. The banging actually starts to be audible when he's in the room with with Maurice, the the psychiatrist or psychologist working with him, um, and then he repeats that same line there are a thousand ways to die down here and then we start to sort of get the the more sort of true true-ish perspective on this which is uh yvette was having a mental health crisis she took jean-luc down to the basement uh she was you know sort of struggling he was down there he got stuck she sort of left him down there he was stuck for hours Basically, with his foot stuck in this uh, floor, piece of broken floor, and his dad came down and, and sort of rescued him. And then, as as part of that, took his mom for uh, for mental health treatment. But for for Jean Luc, as a young boy, that was the monster is taking my mom away. The monster that lives inside her. The monster that is my dad. There's all these these metaphors coming together. And, you know, and he's obviously as a boy, he's very sad. And, you know, and then Talon sort of sits with him and says, you know, uh, you know, you'll do so much so much with this pain. You'll save millions of lives with this pain. And, you know, again, sort of poignant and true, but but obviously extremely painful. Um, The. Uh, and then we get this little sort of glimpse too, as just as Picard seems to be gaining consciousness back to his uh, to to the real world, we get these very quick flashes that there's there's more to this story. And when they re, sort of reawaken, Talon and Picard are sort of looking at each other, and she says, "You know, there's there's more." And he's like, "We don't have time for that now. We gotta we got bigger problems to deal with." Uh, at this point, Rios is talking with Teresa. Um, she's got her son there. Um, I'll circle back to this next point afterwards. But, uh, you know, he's, he's he basically sort of confesses and sort of says, you know, well, you know, yeah, I'm 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 a human. Don't worry about it. And she's like, why is it people that say things like that? Like nobody should have to say that they're human. And and, uh, you know, she he says, well, what do you want me to be? And she says, I want you to be a good guy. He says, I'm a good guy. You know, uh, so he. He transports uh, Teresa and her son to La Serena, and um, you know, <laughs> I love the reaction from the kid. Is is I'm going to touch everything, <laughs> which yeah, you would, right? Um, we go to the scene that I mentioned earlier, where we see uh, on the streets we see. Agnes, she's still wearing her fancy red dress, clearly still possessed by the queen. She goes into a bar called Deacons. Up on the stage on screen is Sunny Ozell, who is Patrick Stewart's real-life wife, which was very funny. Um, she's the one singing. Uh, and then she smashes this window with her hands, and you, you're thinking, like, well, why is she doing that? And again, it's the endorphins, right? She needs to continue to have those endorphins to keep Agnes's true personality at bay and try and let her nanoprobes take control so that she can completely assimilate a host. This is really interesting, and I think we'll talk about this maybe at the end, but, like, this seems like a real 
twist on canon of the whole idea of like you're infected, you can immediately infect. Like what we've seen in drone behavior in the past, but but we'll we'll circle back to that. Um, so now that Picard's awake, you know his first question is: Is Renee okay? Of course, he was doing all this to try and make sure that Renee was okay. Got into the Europa program uh, lockdown before taking off on her mission, and Talon says yes, of course, yes, she's fine, no problem. You you succeeded in that part of the mission, and um, you know Talon does reveal at this point that she is in fact a Romulan. That you know he he sort of guessed right on that one. Um, which, yeah, again, we'll, we'll circle back to some questions about that later on, too. Uh, Picard sort of says, well, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he starts putting together this, you guys can agree or disagree, very convoluted, like, what is, what is Q trying to teach me? Is he trying to teach know thyself? Is he trying to teach mm-hmm. me about myself? Is he trying to teach me about him? It all felt a little far-fetched for me, but I guess I followed along. And... He says, well, you know, I think I think I need to I think I need to talk to Q. And so he goes to Guinan. Um, for some reason, Talon doesn't come. So he goes to see Guinan at the 10 forward bar. They uh, have this very interesting scene where Guinan uses this ancient bottle that was used to seal a non-aggression pact between the Q continuum and the Elorians to try and summon Q there and uh, you know, the building's shaking in the whole nine yards and it doesn't work. Q doesn't just appear. And he says, well, what's supposed to happen? And she says, I summon a Q, a Q shows up and it doesn't work. And um, yeah, they, they, you know, are sort of at a loss for, for, for why this hasn't worked. Although again, we could speculate on that one in a minute. Um, we then go to, uh, the Raffi and Seven, they go to that same bar, Deacons, where uh, Agnes had smashed the windows out, and they're sort of saying, well, you know, why would you do this? Seven figures, of course, it's the endorphins. She needs this to try and take control. And they both have this sort of moment of, oh, no, you know, in bringing the Borg Queen back to the past, we may have doomed the future because if she continues to take over, Agnes gets full control, she can then start infecting other people and they may have brought the Borg to the past to assimilate them in 2025. Uh, Back to the bar at 10 Forward, a customer comes in, you know, guy and says, you know, bugger off, we're closed. He says, I just want one drink. She pours him a drink and, uh, you know, start talking about his love of sci-fi and how much he loves sci-fi. And then he shares this video that he has on his phone and it's of Jean-Luc uh, beaming in the first time he arrived at 10 Forward or just then. I can't tell if it's supposed to be from like previous yeah. episode when he, he did, did that. He did beam in previously in the previous episode. Yeah. So he... You know, sort of shows them that and then sort of, you know, flashes a badge and it's an FBI bust and all these agents come in and Guinan and and Picard are going downtown for some questionings. And that's sort of where we leave our, our yeah. episode. Yeah. It's interesting. I watched the uh, Ready Room just a little while ago and um, Will Wheaton had um, uh, Aito uh, Gahe or Gahawe, I don't know how to say her name, her name, the woman who plays uh, Guinan, Guinan, yeah, talking yep. about talking about Guinan and Guinan's relationship with the Q, or or the Elorian's relationship with the Q, because I don't know if you remember from, from uh, they showed some of the scenes from um, Next Generation where 
you know, whenever John Delancey and Whoopi Goldberg were in the same scene, um, he was obviously intimidated by her. Cute, mm, was, mm-hmm. right? And and she had she held up that her hands in that particular way, and and again the actress uh, Ido she decided to have that same use that same um, pose when the FBI guy was coming down the stairs, because mm-hmm. um, I guess it's sort of a way to ward off the cue. And the cue actually it was it was a cue episode where he brought the Borg to the Enterprise to introduce them to the, yep. this new threat, and and uh, of course. Yep. Um, the Borg had wiped out Guinan's race, and and she explains to Picard and and the rest of the crew, you know, the significance of the Borg and why they're such a horrible adversary, right? Um, so it's kind of interesting to sort of see that perspective, and then and then the whole idea about like this, the thing about this true, this way of of um, um, summoning, a, you know, last week it was like uh, boring bodies, this week it's summoning summoning suits and summoning people. This is this is made up for this particular episode, but the idea that the that a, a Lenorian could could call a cue and they're supposed to they're supposed to come, but I think we've already established that Q's lost some of his powers in this in this uh, version of the of the world, right? Um, I you know it's funny, like you mentioned the sort of self discovery kind of angle of this this episode. I I found I found that a little a little thick um, today, like yep. it painted you know with a real thick brush, but. Um, the yeah, which is why I didn't want to do the recap. But um, <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but uh, what are friends for? And then um, it, it, you know, it kind of like like it, it's sort of like you know, Picard is supposed. We're supposed to believe that Picard's had this realization that he's sort of got the upper hand on Q now because now he knows something that Q doesn't know in terms of like you know why Q has brought him here. It's not so much that Q has brought him here. It's that, you know, again, the trial's never over. We talked about that before, but the Mm -hmm. idea that, um, you know, Q somehow needs Picard to sort of realize the source of his pain and struggles and stuff like that in order to get them past whatever predicament they're in here. Although it still feels like Q manufactured this whole situation with the 2022, 2024 thing, right? So... Yeah, it was interesting to sort of hear her. I mean, of course, she was talking about you know the fact she was you know uh, gets to play the character that um, that uh, Whoopi Goldberg created for her as a kid was you know really inspiring to see somebody you know that looked like her on TV kind of thing, right? And she also talked about the actual bar itself being a character in itself, right? Like to mm. her, like it. She said it looks like uh, something a black woman would how a black woman would decorate the place, right? And there are lots. Hmm. Apparently, there's lots of Easter eggs on on the set. They didn't really go into it too much, but but yeah, they, they apparently there's there's all these sort of um, Guinan characteristics in the, in the ship or in in the the uh, in Ten Forward, right? Besides the name Ten Forward and all that kind of stuff, right? But yeah, anyway, or number Ten Forward Street, right? Or Forward Ave. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was it, so. It's kind of you know, it's kind of um, it's inter- interesting the way I, I, Rios and, and Teresa like he's you know I, I you know I'm not from outer space. I just work there. Kind of line, you know. He said yeah. I, I'm actually from I'm actually from uh, Chile. I just work in outer space, kind of thing. I'm a little. I was surprised when he when he beamed them onto the ship. Right to be honest with you, like I thought that was. It seemed like a bridge too far, but you yeah, know. And, we'll, and we'll see where that goes. I mean, like like is she going to come back and take care of the whales now? Is that where we're going with this? You know. <laughs> Um, well, <laughs> all right. So, uh, so I want to get Jaime's impressions before we sort of dive into the speculation because I think there's a few few good uh, breadcrumb trails here. Jaime, what did you think of this one? I think I think it was all right. Um, it wasn't like my favorite episode. It's moving some pieces around. 
it's a little weird that they just say forget it just corrupt all the timeline as much as possible <laughs> they just yeah. start casually doing weird stuff uh maybe maybe it's that that scene where homer simpson has the bat and just starts whacking things yeah yeah i don't i don't know what's going to end up happening there um a statement you'd made around the um the assimilation i don't know that the writers did a great job of this but and maybe i'm reading into it more than i should but i was under the impression that the um the borg queen was um pretty heavily like almost like sedated in a way from the confederation timeline because when they had her in that little like bookcase like the computer or something, somebody says like, oh, they're using all of this technology to suppress her, her abilities, right? It's like they had, uh, again, like sedated or, or gave her a lot of morphine or something else. So I had interpreted mm. that as like, oh, well, that's the excuse as to why her assimilation stuff is not instantaneous. She doesn't have all of the, the Borg juice that she needs, <laughs> right? Like, I feel like they could have been more explicit about that. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but that's I think how that would have been good. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I found it funny because again, we've obviously, we, yeah, we've seen that from, you know, from, you know, TNG episodes to first contact to Voyager to, you know, all the different iterations of the Borg over the years, you know, uh, you know, a member of the Star Trek crew wearing a red uniform gets, you know, the, the, you know, Borg basically touch them and they turn into a Borg within a moment and they're under control. And then, you know, and then they basically, you know, start slapping cybernetic parts on them. Right. So to see this very slow transformation is, is just a little out of that character or the, the sort of structure that they've built. But I don't think it's terrible. I just think it could use a little more clarity. Well, I mean, like uh, Seven does say, this is like they're witnessing the birth of a new queen. And, and mm-hmm. Rutro, what mm-hmm. have we done here by bringing her here? We've maybe, maybe we've, we're changing the whole timeline in a negative way, right? Yep. Well, let's beam onto the ship and have a party. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's let the kid go touch the buttons. Um, maybe he can figure out how to unlock the Borg safety pro- uh, yeah. protocols that are put on there, security protocols mm-hmm. that are on there. Well, actually, no, it was, so, it, was, it was one of these, like, Seven has this sort of, like, oh, she used, she used Borg, you know, encryption program number 27. I, I can re- you know, reverse. She does get in because she she does figure out that it's a pre- pretty basic Borg algorithm, right? You know, it's like ABC123 kind of thing, right? Yep. Um, so okay, <laughs> two two things. Um, so it was it caught my eye very much that framed in the shot where Rios and Teresa are talking uh, at the front of the clinic. The name of the clinic is right in the middle of the two of them, and it's very overt. And the name of the clinic is Las Mariposa Clinica, and of course that Mariposa is butterfly, right? Butterfly effect. Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That seemed extremely overt. Of course, you have to know like the smattering of Spanish that I do, um, and I'm sure there's uh, you know a lot of people beyond me that noticed that. But to me, that was a very telling Easter egg of you know everybody's been focused on Renee and and the future there and what she's going to do. That feels very red herringy now, and it does feel like maybe it's Teresa and or her son are the things that we're supposed to focus on. Ah. Hmm. So I'm putting that out there. You guys let me know what you well, think of my again, like, scheme, like my but... whale comment. There has to be a reason why, why she was selected to be, to come onto the yeah. ship. Like they, they, he can't, they can't, can't reverse the timeline. He can't do a mind wipe now. And or, well, I mind you, they did make the cop forget, right? Yep. Um, how are they going to make the, the, her and the kid, uh, 
Yeah, I don't think they're going to. By the way, I don't know if I, you I don't, like think, I don't think they build up this relationship with Rios and then and then pull the plug on it. Not with three episodes left, and also, again, I I, I just don't think you put in an Easter egg like literally right on Main Street. Obviously, you know, yeah, it's in a different language, but like that was extremely overt. Yeah, did you notice too that that Picard drops his his badge when he gets arrested? He does, but of course yeah. you should yeah. you should do. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But it also leaves a trail for Seven and Rafi, right? So yeah. Cool, I'll have to come to um, now. Jaime, what do you think about that that theory? I think it could work because I was joking for like a while that there's like the nasty and the pasty thing. So I figured she nasty was in the past. I love maybe laugh last week. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um the other thing that yeah, it just sort of became a little clearer this week when, you know, Talon has been sort of steadfast that she is not Laris, who, of course, Picard has a relationship with in the future. But the fact that she has now been inside of his mind, is connected to his family, has revealed herself to be Romulan and, uh, you know, all of these different things makes me just think, well, how could they not be the same person? Is is Laris not clearly just the future iteration of of Talon? Well, how many years are we talking about? 200, 400, 1,000? 400. 400. 400. Mm. Uh, well, more, right? So I guess this would be going from the the 25th century back to the to the 21st century. So yeah, 400-ish years. Mm. But again, we are, we've already established she's working for this mysterious, you know, watcher group and everything else. My sort of thought or theory at this point is perhaps she was assigned to Renee. Renee is fine now, and then she's assigned to Picard's ad infinitum after that. Oh, I see, right, yeah. Or, and, and you know, so her being around is, is somewhat connected to to him. And that, you know, in the future, Laris, you know, Laris the Romulan who works with him is the same person with the same kind of task. She just has taken a different approach. Yeah, and we'll have to go back and watch that episode where... Where she, you know, the the day, the next day, they kind of like, you know, try to say, well, you know what happened last night, and she, and she's very sort of standoffish in a sense, right? But she does say some things. Now I'm gonna have to go back and watch that, see if there was any mm-hmm. any tips, yeah. Shoes there, right? So, yeah, but yeah, those those ones definitely stood out to me as moments of there there. It seems like we're getting a little closer to the truth on these things. I'm not sure what to make of that very I, I might I might do a little slow-mo watch through of that little blur uh that happens when Jean-Luc comes back to consciousness where she sort of says, Oh, there's there's more to this story than just your your dad had your mom committed and you know and you're you're sad. Yeah, there was some flipping. I'm not back sure what that was. There was some fl- quick flips, right? In the yeah. in the editing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's more to unpack there. But uh yeah, I mean, we're down to the last few episodes. There's there's three to go, so I guess we'll see yeah. sooner than later. I wonder if, if Brad Pitt was in there somewhere. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice pull. Nice pull. Well done. All right. Um, cool. Should we move into Moon Knight? Yeah. All right, Moon Knight. The Friendly Type was the episode this week. It was season one, episode three, halfway through. Only six episodes, right? Eight episodes? Correct. Six? Six. Six. All right. So we start off in the beginning of this episode where um, Layla is talking to some strange lady who's, you know, she's in the process of getting passport pictures taken and they're talking back and forth very sort of casually as if they've known each other for years. 
Obviously, she knew um, Layla when she was a young kid and talking about her dad and, you know, going back to Cairo. And she learned some of this, you know, these these techniques about forging passports and, you know, getting in and out of different countries from her dad kind of thing. Um, And then we flash over to Harrow, who's got his followers walking through the desert. And he's got the, the scarab in his hand and he's aiming the scarab towards, you know, some future object, and then all of a sudden the scarab points down, and they realize that they're, they're where they need to be. Um, then we flash over to Mark, who's running across ceiling or rooftops in, in Cairo, uh, trying to get from one place to another. He ends up on a, a top of a roof where we see three thugs killing a, a fourth person, and that's the person that uh, Mark was trying to get to to... Uh, to question, but of course uh, they're too late. So he starts having you know a fight with the uh, the three. They don't do pew pew in this in this show. They do they flash knives and you know sticks and stuff like that and rocks and but some some bullets. There were some pew pew later, but um, uh, he see as he's got the knife held up to one of the one of the thugs' necks, he sees Stephen in there, and Stephen's saying, "Don't do it! Don't do it! You know, be calm and peaceful and whatever." And then all of a sudden we flash, he flashes forward, like uh, as he does, he kind of does a time jump and he's sitting in a cab and he asks the cab driver where they're going and they're going to the airport and he stopped the cab because he sees two of the thugs outside the, outside the window. He starts chasing those two thugs through the city. They're like, get away from us, get away from us, you're a crazy man. And they run all the way through, this, through the bazaar and the city and, and um, anyway, he gets caught, flash forward again. And this time, one of the thugs is just falling away from him because he's just stabbed them in, in the abdomen. And uh, he's kind of, like, regretting that he did that. And Stephen says to him, oh, Stephen says, what did you do? What did you do? Oh, I know what happened. He, he gets caught, like, running through the bazaar, he gets caught by the other the other assailants. And then, then snap, and he's, he's forward again in, in time. He's in a different place. And he's just one of the guys is falling away from, from the edge of his knife. Um, Stephen says to him, what did you do? And he goes, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. But he had just said that to the, to the, um, when he was chasing the two other guys through the, through the bazaar, he was saying that, uh, that wasn't me as well. So there seems to be some sort of third personality starting to take over from, from both Mark and Steven. And then, you know, so he's, so he's, he's managed to kill off two of the three thugs and the, the one young, young, younger thug is, is still there. And, uh, Conchu says to him in his head, you know, take him to the ledge, he'll talk. So he, he walks over to the ledge of this cliff. And he holds him, holds the kid over the the cliff by his scarf, and says, "Where's Harrow?" And the kid just looks at him and says, "Praise Amit," and shut, cuts the uh, cuts the the hold he has on him, and basically falls to his death. And uh, you know, Country says, "I could have sworn he would talk," you know. And uh, he says, "Well, isn't there something you can do? Like, can't you just summon the other gods and and ask them, you know, what's going on or how they can help?" And and Country says, "Well, that's not really a good thing because they're they're kind of you know peed off, peed off, pee off with me." Or and uh, he says, "Well, what's the worst thing that could happen?" He goes, "Well, they could they could decide to imprison me in stone if they got if they got angry enough, right?" And he says, "Well, have you got another idea?" He goes, "Well, he he goes, well, I've got a really bad idea." This is Contra talking, and so the next thing you see is he's eclipsing the sun, and uh, and this is to attract the attention of the other gods. And he so he's chatting with Mark, and and Mark says, "Well, like, how am I supposed to get in there? Is there like some sort of portal that I can walk through?" And and Contra turns to his left, and uh, turns to his right, actually, and uh, 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 the wall starts to open up, and he, so um, Mark walks through, and it turns out to be a a, a 
uh, portal into the Great Pyramid of Giza, which, you know, of course, Stephen sees a reflection and makes a comment on that. Um, and so the gods' avatars are there, and there's, like, basically five or six people there, and uh, he's approached by one called Yantil, uh, Yatil, who's the avatar for Hathor, one of the gods, and uh, in also the representatives from Isis, Horus, Tefnut, and Orisis are there as well. And they're all... Yeah, and they make a point of saying, like, uh, in a couple episodes back, they say the Eniad has, I think, nine... Because he makes a point uh, when he's talking, when he's... I think it's the first episode when he's working at the mm-hmm. museum. He says, shot, yeah. you guys have got the... Yeah, you guys have got the posters outside wrong. You only have six on there, and there's actually oh, right. eight or nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's I guess that's the tee up for this one. But then the notable absences are are Khonshu and Amit. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so so there the 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 avatars take the gods take over the avatars' bodies as as um, um, Mark finds out, and and so Mark. You know, Conchu speaks through Mark as well to these people, and so the the other gods are all pissed at at Conchu. Um, they're all mad at mad at him for doing things that he does. Conchu um, through Mark says his big problem is is Arthur Harrow is uh, trying to summon Amit and and have her take over. You know, to like be, do bad things, and and uh, so they call um, Arthur Harrow, and he so he appears in the. Uh, in in they bring him into the, the they transport him or transport beam him over or whatever, <laughs> so he appears and he starts telling the gods that that Conchu's unhinged and you know he's his avatar is not a, like a good avatar he's got a split personality so there's just two at least two people running around in there and um you know the fi- yeah it's gaslighting one oh one with uh, yeah. Arthur Harrow yeah so so finally uh, God. Um, the gods you know, speak to Mark, and they say, "Like, are you are you troubled?" And he's, "Yes, I am troubled." And so they decide to side with Haro, and and um, and you know they they um, they leave, and and uh, you know Mark Mark slash Stephen slash Conchu are are have lost the argument and lost the battle, and uh, Yantel comes over to him and says, "Well, there is another way." You know, she's she says, uh, "There's a, another person named Son, uh, Senfu." who um, knew the location of Amit's tomb as well. And uh, so find find his sarcophagus, and you'll find there might be some clues in the sarcophagus. And um, the sarcophagus has recently been sold in the black market, so go find out where that is. So he goes back to the bazaar, and he's running around, and he's asking people, you know, if, uh, if they know about this Senfu guy. And they're all, like, walking away from him, kind of like, you know, um, like he's a crazy, you know, foreigner kind of thing, right? And uh, Layla shows up and she says, you know, like I can help you with this, and and they decide to team up. And um, you know, I'll help you find what you need. You know, I, I know this guy Mogart who who probably is like the guy on the black market that's got the sarcophagus. Let's go see him. And um, as they're they're traveling on a boat and they have this nice little scene about you know how their relationships falling apart and which we're not going to go into <laughs> and uh, or fell apart. And uh, and how she's you know got some troubled past with with she's clearly Egyptian um, from from what their dialogue they're they're talking about and the fact that she's talking about her father and going back to Cairo and home and all that kind of stuff. Well, and she talks about how her father was murdered. Yeah, yeah, the, the murder. I was going to mention that in a minute. That's, so, yeah. um, 
So they get there, and as they're getting off the boat, they notice there's another boat following them, and they figure that might be Haro's men following them to find out where they're going. And uh, she says, you know, here's here's the cover story. Your name is Rufino Estrada, and, and we're just coming back from a honeymoon, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, they're they're watching, they're playing a game, a thing called El uh, Merma, uh, which is like running around on horses with big spears and... and uh, He's like, you know, does he put this on for fun? And she says, no, actually, he has the best people in, in Egypt come and teach him personally. So he's actually in in playing the game with them on the horses. It's kind of like a polo thing, but with, with pointy sticks. So apparently he's an old suitor of hers. You know, he's glad to see her. He's, you don't need an excuse to drop by, kind of, you know, smarm. And uh, uh, he explains that, you know, he's not really collecting uh, these antiquities for profit. He's basically preserving history. And so he's got this glass pyramid. Um, reminiscent of of um, the one at the, the Louvre, and um, you know, inside the pyramid is is the sarcophagus, and you you know, go go have a look at it. So the two of them go in, and they're looking at around this this sarcophagus, reading all the inscriptions and hieroglyphics and stuff, and they can't really find out what's going on. And the pyramid's made of glass, and so of course you can see Stephen there, and he comments that uh, they they won't be able to do it because the 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 inscription is the information will be encoded, written in some sort of uh, puzzle sort of thing, and um, so he says to uh, to Layla, "I got to talk to Stephen alone." And so she leaves and lets him lets him have a talk. And so of course he's in the pyramid talking to himself, and she says, uh, "She says he's he's praying, like you know, he's just he's being a goof like that and whatever, right?" So um, and Stephen sort of sort of says, "Give me the body, and and I'll tell you what's going on," or "Give me the body and piss off." And of course they. So he starts to explain to him what to do with. He says, "Look at look inside the inside the the sarcophagus itself, and and on the body there, or on the mummy, there are some pieces of paper or fabric or whatever with with uh, stars drawn on them." And he says, "Explain to him how to put them together and fold this and turn that, and you know, put these pe- puzzle pieces together to to build a star chart and find out where the where the thing is." Uh, but just as as he's starting to make some progress, the the bodyguards pull guns on all of them, and and uh, Mark flips it around, and you know, in his quick, you know, born like uh, reflexes, and and realizes that they've got guns trained on Layla as well, and she's trying to explain to them, we're we're actually not trying to do, we're not trying to steal this from you, we're actually trying to save many lives with this work that we're doing, and um, that's when uh, the bodyguard or the main guard and and uh, Marmut discover that there's somebody else coming and of course it's Haro walking up with a couple of his, his cronies um talking about you know how he can he can offer them whatever they've offered i can double or triple it or tell you more about it and uh Layla's saying to anton don't listen to him he's he's just trying to he's trying to like influence you in a bad way and Haro says to her you know well you know this this the i'm trying to prevent the wounds that your that from your father's murder and you know um he tells Mark that you're unworthy of love, and you know I can offer you proof that's real, kind of thing, and uh, to to um, Anton, and so he starts doing a chant, and and with his his you know magic staff that he's got there, and and uh, meanwhile Contra's yelling at him, "Someone the suit, someone the suit," to Mark. Um, so in in his chant, and he pull, incarnate, um, recites a spell or something like that, which basically destroys the sarcophagus, and and. Uh, so that nobody can have it kind of thing. And um, and then all of a sudden, you know, th- now we have the pew-pew part where, you know, M- Moon Knight starts to fight. He puts on the suit and 
starts to fight all the people and and I forgot what happened to Haro and his people. Did they just run away? But um uh, well, Harrow uses his power to destroy everything and then just is like, well, my work here is done and, yeah, and leaves. He leaves, yeah. Yeah, it makes like a tree and leaves. Um, and then, um, so he, uh, in in all the pew-pew-pew, um, Moon Knight opens his cape and um, Layla runs inside to, to get some cover and she says, buy some time. And so then, you know, uh, Moon Knight starts kicking ass and, you know, all kinds of fighting and stuff happens and cool things and, you know... Um, all kinds of stuff, and meanwhile, Stephen's yelling, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop beating these people up!" And um, finally, he uh, manages to, to get the suit uh, put on himself, and he becomes Mister Knight. I think you said Mister Knight. Mister yeah. Knight. Yeah. And well, because yeah, because he gives he gives the power to Stephen, and right. then Stephen becomes Mister Knight, right? Yeah, and then and Stephen's saying, "Time out! Time out! Let's all be friends. You know, <laughs> why can't we all? Why can't we all get? Why is everybody fighting? Why can't we get along?" And um, anyways, a more more. Uh, more the pointy sticks come out and they start you know po- uh, stabbing him and whatever so meanwhile Layla is I didn't mention that Layla has been wearing this fancy network necklace which clearly was you know meant to be they're almost like those little semicircles that that Moon Knight has and so she rips off her necklace and she's she's fighting the 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 main um, bodyguard dude and uh, so she basically rips off this necklace thing and just you know ends up stabbing him and killing him with the with those knives and then. Uh, just that, you know, there's a, a scene there where, you know, um, Anton's on his horse with his big spear and he's running towards, he's charging towards Layla, who's in the middle, and, you know, Moon Knight's on the other end, and the two of them run together, and Moon Knight just manages to get her just in time to to pull her out of the way so that, that Anton can't stab him, and then throws his little semicircle knife thing and, and kills Anton, and that's the end of him. And then, uh, so then they 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 say, well, we've got to we we've got the pieces. We gotta we gotta get some wheels. We gotta get out of here and try and you know, try and figure out our way to to where Amit's tomb is. So they get a car and they're they're driving away. And as they're driving, you know, Layla says to him, "What what was Harrow talking about? Like, um, he you know he knew why I moved from Cairo. He knew about my dad's murder. Like, what's what's going on here?" And um, uh, Mark says, oh, he thinks he can see people's true nature, and he's just trying to divide us and, and you know, come between us and, and, you know, lay down some suspicion, and um, and she says... And it works. Yeah, she, yeah, she works. She says, there's too many secrets between us, and, and you know, I don't really see... I feel like I don't really know you, and he kind of goes, well, you don't. <laughs> um, you don't really know me, and uh, so as they're driving along, there's, there's one of Haro's cronies spots them, um, and then, so they pull over and they, uh, and they start, they, on the hood of the car, they start trying to put together the pieces and they can't figure it out. They can't, you know, it's all blown, it's all ripped up and, you know, they just grabbed what they could out of the sarcophagus before they took off. And, um, so she finally says, we need, we need Stephen. You need to, you need to give Stephen the body to, to let him explain this. Cause he knows this stuff, right? And, uh, so he's this vine and he walks away from the car and he lets Stephen, give Stephen the body and, uh, even starts putting together the the star chart and literally be, makes it a shape of a star, but uh, but he also notices through the headlights that there's like these pinpricks and and um, he's as he's putting together the thing he explains that the, the Egyptians because there's so much sand and you know there's nothing no no points of reference they use the stars to navigate and so um, he notices as he's finished putting his his star chart together that the light from the headlights is making like pinpricks are are actually constellation patterns. Um, and she's got this, you know, iPad app, and, of course, it doesn't match the, the patterns anywhere that she can find. And 
Um, and then he says, well, it's because this was done 2,000 years ago. And, of course, the stars are in a different position now than they would have been back then. And Conchu speaks up and says, I remember that night. I remember every night. And so he he says, I can, you know, I can turn back the stars, but I, I need help. And so he, um, Stephen puts on the moon, or Mark, Stephen, Mark, I guess, puts on the, the Moon Knight costume. And it, he shows Mark how to turn back time, as it were. And so, um, and of course, you know, it's going to be a, a cost to, to Contra if he does this, right? So they, they dial back the sky so everybody in the world can see that the stars are all spinning around um, like a long exposure kind of picture thing. And uh, they turn back the, the, the stars to like 2,000 years ago uh, to the point where they can figure this out. Meanwhile, the, the, the avatars slash gods in the Great Pyramid are, are realize what's going on. And so they decide, okay, this, this is, you know, they've gone too far. And so they start to do the chant to imprison um, Khonshu into this little stone statue, which they do. Um, and then finally, now that the tar- stars have been tar- turned back and Layla's got her, her lap thing working, uh, she realizes that the, they get the, the um, longitude and latitude is 29 degrees north, 25 east. I looked it up on Google Maps and it's like right in the middle of like a sta- sand blob. I don't think it means anything particular. And then, uh, but as as Khonshu gets... Um, turned into this little stone statue, um, Mark collapses. Mark slash Stephen collapses, and, and she's in the desert with him. Um, meanwhile, Hiro is, is summoned back to the Great Pyramid, and uh, he starts talking to the stone statue of Khonshu, and he says, you know, things like, you know, your torment pushed me and made me do this, and, you know, I owe you my, I owe my victory to you, and that's where the episode ends. Not so much of a cliffhanger, no FBI guys will come running in with guns, and <laughs> but uh, yeah, we fade to black with with Ethan Hawke as Arthur Harrow, saying, "I've got the upper hand now." And that's that. Yep. Um, worth mentioning, the episode was obviously dedicated to Gaspar Ulliel, who we talked about uh, a, wh- a while a while back, back in January, who died tragically in a skiing accident. That's who played uh, Mogart. Oh really? Oh, um, okay. He's the. We had talked about him. He was. Uh, ostensibly playing a comic book character called uh, Midnight Man, mm. um, sort of adapted, same same idea. He's basically a, a, a thief of antiquities. And uh, yeah, so Mogart, the guy who played him, died tragically in a skiing accident in uh, in January. And so he this was his sort of one episode of Moon Knight, and they dedicated it to him uh, posthumously, oh, of course. Oh, and Tyler, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as, as performances go, it's a memorable one. He he definitely plays a great smarmy bugger. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so yeah, there's there's some stuff to unpack here uh, in this one as well. The whole you know uh, what's going on when when Mark and Stephen aren't in control. Mm-hmm. That's that's a question mark. Um, you know, comic book readers. Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. Comic book readers will know that Mark has more than just the two personalities in him. So, um, as a fact, there's there's a few more. And so, uh, you know, I think that's the direction that they seem to be headed with this, is that uh, that it's it's not just Mark and Stephen that are fighting for control and that we're kind of just scraping the surface. And I think that's kind of, as much as he was just trying to be, to, to sort of push Layla away, I think that was for the audience as well to say, you don't, you don't, like... Three episodes in, you think you know me, you still don't. You, know, yeah. you don't know me either, audience. Like, you're, wait for it. You're going to see some more weird stuff coming up. And, um, 
Yeah, and then the um, the other stuff with Mark is the um, the um, yeah. Now, what what does he do without the the powers of Conchu going into the sort of second half of this? How do how do they sort of continue forward if he's not Moon Knight? If he's just this very troubled person coming out of this? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I accidentally um, started the first episode from the season when I was about doing my recap and. Um, we missed it at the very beginning, but like Ethan Hawke is in, you can't really see it's Ethan Hawke, but, um, he takes like a glass and he, he, um, yeah, puts in his shoes and yeah. he put, he smashes it and puts the broken glass in his shoes and starts walking on the shoes. Right. So I guess sort of a, I don't know, like a flagellation kind of thing. Right. Yep. Um, but yeah, that wasn't really explained, um, at any point, but now that, now that we know who Arthur Harrow is, we kind of get the, the gist of it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So. My measure of these shows, particularly the Marvel shows, but but pretty true across a lot of sort of genre television and and movies is these things tend to be as good as the antagonist, not the protagonist. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you can create a great protagonist, but you need a great foil and the best of Marvel MCU stuff. The best of genre stuff is built around having great bad guys. And so far, I I don't love how they've handled everything about him. I thought the 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 gaslighting part in this episode was, was it was a little little heavy handed. Yeah. But Ethan Hawke is being a great bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I heard somebody else say that too. Like he is he is really just again. He said he based this off of like cult leaders like David Koresh and people who who are more as as much about charisma as anything else and he's the way he's playing that as sort of this you know charismatic person who just can can talk you and talk his way in and out of everything uh i think he's doing a fantastic job i think he's he's really uh you know he's somebody that you easily hate and i love ethan hawk i've loved ethan hawk for 30 years i think he's an incredible actor but I even knowing who he is, he's gotten so deep in that part that I'm like, I hate that guy. I hate yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's really what's kind of making this for me. I mean, the the you know Arthur uh, Oscar Isaac's is is great, and he's he's clearly you know it's fun to watch him bounce back and forth between the different parts and how he's playing Stephen and how he's playing Mark, and of course you know the confusion and and I think they're doing a really nice job of that. Although I think again we I think we talked about it in previous episodes. I think the editors are as much to to thank. Like his performance is great, but the way that they put it together is really strong. But uh, yeah, to me, it's Ethan Hawke has just been, uh, you know, really, really compelling in this series so far. Yeah. Observations, Jaime? I liked how they started playing more into the the different strengths of each of the personalities um, and how they're still kind of doing that tug of war, right? So like we saw the, okay, let's let Steve handle this part because he's, he's the Egyptian expert, right? The Egyptian mythology expert. And then there's like combat related stuff. It's like, all right, all right, let's go back to Mark because uh, he's that expert. And it's kind of personified in the like, give me the body, give me the body, take the body back, take the body back. <laughs> when he's like, <laughs> Stephen's recognizing he's out of his league, and he's in the uh, the yeah uh, the tuxedo or the the more business suit kind of uh, suit, and he's like, oh no no no, I need the I need the the fighting suit. Bring that one back. Yeah, yeah. And I do think you're right about the uh, the villain where 
that's where I sort of fumbled my way through the ghostwriter stuff. I was really thinking about that narrow period of time of the the ghostwriter at that point in time was like, oh, we think this is the same spirit that haunted um, Johnny Blaze. And Johnny Blaze mm, had like mm-hmm. a like a hellfire gun or something that he was trying to kill the ghostwriter with, thinking that it was the same one. I, I think it wasn't the same one, but there's 30 some years of comic history that maybe it is or isn't a clone yeah nasty in the past you father you know like i have no idea what's going on with the spirit of vengeance um you know all in but that's sort of what i thought about like i thought it was kind of interesting to be like yeah harrow knows this stuff because he's like oh yeah i was the avatar before right yeah 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 and he's he's it's funny because he's he's playing it in this really kind of yeah, just very, very uh, like the jilted ex, like things you would mm-hmm. do to sort of spite your 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 ex who 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 jilted you and stuff. Like it's it's really interesting to, to watch the way he's sort of playing this, like with with sort of this perverse glee. Um, yeah, the other thing that uh, that we we we've probably circled back on is again that sort of illusion that uh, you know that Layla doesn't trust you know, Mark and that, you know, we, we obviously get the allusion to the fact that her father was murdered. I mean, I don't think it's a huge leap and a jump to say that Mark is the one that killed. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Her father. I, I think that's a pretty clear line from where they seem to be heading that one. Mm-hmm. The question of course is, was it Mark or was it, uh, another aspect of his personality? So therefore he is, you know, blameless or, or otherwise. And of course, when that revelation comes out, what will it do to the, to the dynamic between the two of them? Right. Yeah. 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 I thought, yeah. again, it was a weird episode because it was kind of a little bit expositiony. It was, a you know, there was, there was a little, you know, not what's, what's the, what's the, um, uh, throwing moon, shuriken version of pew pew ching ching i don't know like it's uh <laughs> there's a, there a little bit of that it was certainly certainly a little more actiony kind of stuff going on in this one um the body count certainly went up pretty pretty fast um and yeah again it's sort of it's positioned the second half of the season with you know a fair bit of drama again it, it doesn't end on as you say the sort of you know fbi this is a raid kind of moment but again it's you know conchu's imprisoned harrow seems to have the the strong upper hand mark is left powerless they know where they're going but now you know what does that mean they're going to head towards this tomb they're going to figure out where where amit is and where harrow is digging but then what right so yeah i think the setup is really good i think it's uh it continues to be a pretty compelling series mm-hmm. cool hey so listen um have you seen the batman yet Tommy? i have not i intend to see it sometime after the 18th when i subscribe that one month to hbo max and get peacemaker as well maybe anything else that i missed yeah because i think we should talk about the uh the batman poll oh good stuff yeah so I was inspired by this. I, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I, it was a comic book writer or author of the, in the DC world was talking to Tom power on Q and, um, had told, um, he was asked the question, um, which is his, which actor or which portrayal of his, does he think is the best Batman and which does he think is the best Bruce Wayne? And the, uh, the writer said that his, his opinion of the best Batman is Ben Affleck because he's hmm. relentless, you know, he's human, he, his superpower is I'm rich, you know, like he's, 
because of his wanting to solve to solve crimes and just the the way that 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 particular Batman is portrayed, he felt is the best. But the Bruce Wayne he thought best was Christian Bale, right? So which inspired me to sort of put together this pool of who plays the best Batman, who plays the best Bruce Wayne, and and just for fun, who plays the best Alfred, right? So we have the results in. We've had 26 respondents here, or should we say how many respondents we had? I don't know. We've had a bunch yeah, of respondents. No, it's 26, yeah. We've had respondents. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, so, and and it's kind of funny, like, when I when I watch the numbers grow over time, um, it's interesting. So the best Bruce Wayne portrayal uh, with 30% of the vote is Christian Bale. Uh, the best... The second best is Adam West with 23%, and the third best is Michael Keaton, which I found interesting because to me, like, I think, like, the sort of the more diehard, maybe it could be my followers too, or probably more in my age range. To us, to me, Batman is Adam West, right? Um, because that's, you know, that's kind of like who's the, who's the best Captain Kirk? Well, clearly William Shatner, right? So, Mm. Um, although it could so be who, do you, who, who do we all vote for then for Bruce Wayne and, and Batman? I'll, I'll, well, for, I'll for Bruce Wayne, for let's do Bruce Wayne first. So I I voted for Adam West for Bruce Wayne, I believe. And who do you guys? I I felt that, you know the Adam Adam West portrayal of he was very serious and he wasn't very comic-y and kind of stuff like you know in his in his portrayal. What who did you guys vote for for Bruce Wayne? I voted West. West, okay. I ended up going the Michael Keaton route for Bruce Wayne um, because his Bruce Wayne just feels like, like a psychopath given his, his history of like, it was a young boy, saw his parents killed in front of him, stays very separate from people because the, the Batman is the real, the real person. And so going with that, I went with, with Michael Keaton's Batman as I start Bruce Wayne is like, yeah, that's, that's probably pretty accurate as to how messed up you would be eaten, eaten alone the, the in, only in your issue, huge dining room. Yeah. The only issue I ever, like his performance was good. It's his stature. I just did not buy him as, yeah. as Mr. Mom, right. You know? Well, no. Yeah. And again, again, I, I, I was able to sort of divorce that. I mean, I've liked Michael Keaton since he was a comedian in the early eighties, but I, I just didn't buy him as in any way physically imposing suit or no suit. So that kind of just like when I think of what Bruce Wayne must be like to, to go out and do this every night, I definitely picture Affleck, big, tall, strong jaw. That is more physically what I what I kind of picture as as Batman. Now we're and, talking about Bruce Wayne, though. I know, but I'm saying, but like that, that, that carries back to the Bruce Wayne of it all. Like you can't just be this little, you know, frankly, not, not very big guy and, and sort of have that presence either, or maybe that's the whole point. Maybe they're trying to juxtapose that. So that when he's in the suit and he's got the, the fake abs built in and stuff like that, he, he seems completely different than the physical type, but it just, something about that didn't connect for me. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. And who did you all end up going with for Batman? And oh, did, uh, did you say Tim? I felt like you were maybe crossing over. Did you say who, who the poll was for Batman? Uh, who, uh, was? who won the poll? It was Christian Bale. Uh, with no, not Bruce Wayne. Oh, for Batman. Batman. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't yet. No. So for for Batman, the the numbers were forty percent for Chris Bale, Christopher Christian Bale. Sorry. Um, uh, seven twenty eight percent for Kevin Conroy, which I think, which was I put that in for as a sort of an, as a lost leader, and then twenty uh, percent for Adam West. So Adam West came in third, 
Yeah, yeah. So I ended up being one of those people voting for uh, Kevin Conroy. Same. Yeah. It was not one I would have naturally added to the list, but once I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do think his portrayal of Batman is pretty pretty solid to my interpretation of the character in my own head. Yeah, I haven't yeah, I haven't I, watched enough of the animated Batman to to really to really be able to cast a vote in that direction myself, right? So Well it's funny, like the I think the thing that we're we're learning here is that we are all products of our era. So Tim, you grew up with Adam West as your Batman, so you have a strong uh, affinity for him. For Jaime and I I think mm-hmm. Kevin Conroy was the Batman that was around the most. I mean, obviously Keaton was sort of same time ish, but Conroy did more Batman in the nineties and, and early two thousands than anyone else. And for me, and I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but when I read a Batman comic book, Conroy's voice is what I hear, not anyone else. It's always Kevin Conroy. Yeah. I think definitely when I, when I think of the animated Batman, that's the voice I hear too. Right. So yeah. Um, and just and just for for the sake of science here, for people because it's an audio platform here, we had Robert Pattinson, uh, we had Christian Bale, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Kevin Conroy, Adam West, Ben Affleck, and Will Arnett. Of course, calling up Billy just in case someone. And I love I love Will Arnett's, but it was hard to take it seriously. I loved Will Arnett's performance, but just yeah. hard hard to take him as that. And also, again, I think it's body it's body of work and volume of work. I think yeah. Christian Bale did really well in both of these ones, but again, I think that's that's recency bias yeah. based on our voting uh, group. I think yeah, definitely to a certain extent. I wonder if we if we get two more or more Robert Pattinson Batman movies hmm. and did this poll over again in a few years. I wonder if we'd see that start to skew more towards Pattinson. True, true. Well, I mean, but but interestingly enough, you know, George Clooney did get some votes as as Bruce Wayne, and um, Ben Affleck got a vote or a couple of votes as well, right? So, but but uh, and but on the Batman side, yeah, we had Robert Pattinson was the other one, and then Michael Keaton as well were the the um, the fourth and fifth. Um, the Batman, the Alfred one, I thought was really surprising. Um, but then again, it's also this recency bias thing too, so, because I think Michael Caine played the most recent Alfred, right? Um, you know, Andy Serkis is the current one as of as of the last movie, but and Michael Caine's told is with. With sixty-five percent, which I think is amazing. I mean, but again, that's the recency thing. Like, I, I, yeah. I mean, didn't Michael Caine played it in all the Christian Bale movies, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, and, and surprisingly, Michael Goo played uh, Alfred in like three of the other Batman's. Right? We mentioned that last week. Because he played, mm-hmm. he was he um, Keaton's and Kilmer and and Clooney's. Kilmer's and yeah, Clooney, yep. right? Yep. But of course, Alan Napier was the original Alfred. So, who did you guys pick for this category? I probably picked Alan Napier again. I was a one of the multitudes in the Michael Caine category. Yeah, yeah. I I actually took Sean Pertwee. I, I thought that show was a um, disaster. Yeah, frankly, to be kind. Yeah, but I really enjoyed Sean Pertwee's performance in that show. I think he was the strongest part of that show. Yeah, him and and Cameron B. Condola as as uh, the young Catwoman. I thought those were the two standouts mm. for sure in that series. Oh yeah, the young girl. Yeah, she was good. But. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's interesting though. Like to me, Michael Caine is Michael Caine. Like it's like he's been. In, I've seen him in so many movies that he's he's Alfie. Alfie. He's you know he's the guy from the Italian Job, the original Italian Job. For those of you driving at home, um, 
And, you know, he's like, he, he's, he was in The Man Who Would Be King with Sean Connery. Like, he's just, um, you know, he's he's just, it, it's kind of, it's it, he's an actor that's hard to put into, I can't see him as a character, you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't, like, if he played Hercule Poirot, I wouldn't see him as Poirot. I'd see him as Michael Caine playing Poirot, mm, right? Mm, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a difference, too, is like, and because Alfred, to me, like, like, Alfred, Alfred Alan Napier as Alfred, like, the time, the couple of times that he put on the the Batman suit and drove the car around the city, like just you know, because because nobody could figure out that why is Batman all of a sudden wearing glasses? You know, nobody noticed. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. And, and why is he speaking with an old you know English accent? And you know, like because now now of course you know how you have the you know the remote control car, but back then in the sixties, you know, Alfred would have to drive the car to Bruce Wayne. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I just, I just, I found the ridiculousness of him playing, you know, the things that he had to do for his boss to get, you know, his boss out of these sticky situations was, was just comical, right? So, you know, yeah. But yeah, and it, it, it's interesting, like, uh, you know, Sean Pertwee, I did like him as a, you're right, in the, in the Gotham series. Because um, he had to take the adult, because again, he was mentoring a young Bruce Wayne. He kind of had to be more than just, you know, the stately butler. He had to be you know, a mentor, he had to be a dad and he had to be a badass at times. He was like, you know, and they, and they tied in that sort of, you know, he wasn't just always a butler. He was, uh, you know, uh, a special forces, SAS agent and stuff like that. And I just think they gave him more to do and that made him a more compelling character. And also just Pertwee's a good actor. Yeah, yeah definitely. Cool. I'm sure there'll be many debates. But yeah, we bring it on, folks. We want to hear from you. Yeah, we'll post this to the socials, and we'll go from there. Ready. So let's move on to our watch list. You guys go ahead, because I don't have much today, this week. Mine is a a well-edited video of uh, Saul Goodman as Peter Parker's lawyer. It, it, fits in, <laughs> it fits in pretty well with the uh, the No Way Home scene. Um Better Call Saul season six, the final season is coming out this, uh, I believe, Monday the 18th. So I thought it was well timed to have this come out. Nice, nice. I'm definitely gonna check that out. That's funny. Um, I have a few different things uh, owing to the fact that obviously I wasn't around uh, for the previous episode. Um, the first one, uh, a little outside of our area, but uh, Winning Time, the, uh, the series on HBO Max. That's one I'll recommend for you, Jaime, if you're gonna have a month's worth, uh, and if you time it right, you should be able to get. Uh, get it in there while the first season wraps up but it's basically it's a a dramatized version of the story of the the uh showtime lakers from the 19 late 70s and 80s uh, magic johnson kareem abdul jabbar and uh and of course dr jerry buss so it starts with him you know buying the team and sort of having this vision of you know i want this to be spectacle i want this to be sexy i want this to be something more than just you know uh five guys on the court you know dribbling balls and um it's it's fantastic it's adam mckay so of course adam mckay you know uh vice and and obviously so many other um um, movies that he's done has that sort of you know um historical look at things but with tongue-in-cheek at times people breaking the fourth wall and talking to the camera um and 
it's it's great. John C. Riley plays Doctor Bus, and and he is fantastic as this just sort of you know sort of schlubby kind of dude, but somehow is irresistible to women. And of course, he's extremely wealthy. But um, yeah, it's 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 really really fun. It's a fun series. It's a fun look at sort of you know that era, um, that era of the NBA. If you're an NBA fan, but also just you know Hollywood in in the early '80s where that was at that the the drugs the the political climate it's just it's really well done i've watched the first i think six episodes now and uh and i'm digging it it's it's really fantastic so i recommend if you if you uh if you're just looking for a fun watch um it's it's really 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 enjoyable stuff um on the the coming up front, uh, Russian Doll, the Netflix series starring Natasha Lyonne, is coming back uh, next week, and so I'm looking forward to that one. I'm uh, I think I should be able to watch a little bit before we do our next recording, but um, I really dug the first season of that. Really, an interesting take on the whole sort of Groundhog's Day, you're mm-hmm. stuck in a time loop kind yeah. of story, uh, but with this you know delightfully acerbic wit that uh, that only Natasha Leone can bring to a story. And um, there is a trailer, so we'll have that up in our show notes. Have a look. It does seem like it's going to some even weirder places for season two, uh, but I'm curious to see how they build off of the sort of weird weird temporal world that that uh, they've had her character stuck in for the first season. So uh, yeah. Looking forward to that one. Kids in the Hall. Uh, YouTube, uh, Amazon released uh, the the first trailer for the reboot of the Kids in the Hall. The iconic Canadian uh, comedy troupe is uh, going to come back and do a whole new series. Uh, the trailer is hilarious. Oh, you mean uh, they're doing it now? Like redoing it? Yeah, it's oh. a brand new Kids in the Hall series is coming starting in uh, in in May on. Amazon and the trailer that I've put up in, in our notes here actually starts with them literally like getting an excavator and like digging up their graves and the five of them lying in a grave being like, Oh man, what happened? You know, really? it's really <laughs> super funny. And I, I'm there's, you know, glimpses of some old characters. There's obviously, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, self-effacing humor about their aging and everything else. And, um, it just looks so hilarious, and I love those guys. I mean, Tim, I know you and I are obviously on the same page that this is just these guys are incredible, and I cannot wait to see more of their their delightfully absurd way of looking at the world uh, back on back on my television set. So, cool, yeah, um, I've been watching some yeah. of their stuff on, and uh, because I th- I think I was gonna I was surprised when I saw this here because I think it's been on Amazon for the last few years. Like the original the whole, was, yeah. and and they actually they put up uh, Death Comes to Town, the the, the limited series that they did. Yeah. I think went up recently on on amazon as well so i think they're they're sort of stocking the larder with with kids in the hall content Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's coming back in all new format and and all new episodes with all new characters and the whole michaels again or i didn't see that i again didn't seem to see that in the trailer obviously the the guys are there all the you know the 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 five original uh cast members but yeah yeah yeah, exactly so um I'm not sure. I I would be surprised if there wasn't some, you know, involvement, but who knows. But cool. uh but yeah, I just I love them so much and I can't wait to see more of them. Jaime, are, does Kids in the Hall resonate with you all? It was kind of a 1990s thing. I know it was on in the United States too, but it was really huge here. Yeah, I I was wondering if they were going to do the crushing your head thing and then I mm-hmm. it's in, it's in the to trailer. See the uh the CN Tower, I believe that is getting crushed. Yep. Yeah. Stand back, coppers, or the tower gets it. 
Well, Jonathan and I have seen them a couple of times. I think at Massey Hall once, and I think I saw them at... Did you? The Danforth. We went and saw them at the Danforth, yeah, Danforth too. Danforth as well, yeah. They're, they're really yeah. good. They're really good lives. They're really funny. They're great. Yeah, they're great live. Uh, and yeah, again, I, they're just, they never, it, it astonishes me that these men can be so creative, continuously creative. I mean, we're talking about 30 years of this now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Canadian legends. Yep. Um, the last thing that I've got in here is, I guess it's, it's a watch list slash question, which is <laughs> today is the day that Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is in the theaters. Yeah. What is the consensus on, is this something to be seen in a theater? And do you at all care about this? You know, Harry Potter was a monstrosity, a huge big deal, yeah. but not so much this stuff. What do you guys think? Well, my my uh, experience with uh, the Fantastic Beasts franchise so far has been watching it on the back of a headrest on an airplane. <laughs> that was uh the crimes of grindelwald for me um and i don't think i was soured enough from that experience to to turn away from this altogether but i do think for me it's not for, for me personally it's not a theater it is a you know netflix amazon back of the airplane kind of uh it's meant to be seen on a seven inch screen for sure yeah well, it'll be HBO Max because it's Warner Brothers, but um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I dug the first one. I didn't see the first one in the theater. I saw it, I think, when I either came to streaming or, yeah, I, don't, I, I can't recall how I saw it the first time. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was, you know, very clever. Again, the whole idea of like this this uh, magical menagerie gets loose in New York City in in uh, the early twentieth century, and they have to try and put them back into the to the zoo. And then there's this underlying thing. I thought that was really enjoyable. And then I thought, okay, for the second one, I enjoyed the first one. Maybe I'll make an effort to see it in the theater. So uh, my wife and I, and I think uh, one of our sons went to go see that one in the theater. I think all of us came out going like, what the what? And yeah, it was, it was clearly a step backwards as far as the quality and, and enjoyment. And of course that was all tied into the whole Johnny Depp thing. And, you know, so it was, it was kind of a mess. And now it seems like, you know, it's been a long time since they did the second one. I think it's four years since they did the the second installment. And it seems like they've retooled it. It's a little less focused on, you know, the Catherine Parkinson character, on the the Newt Scamander character. Uh, And it seems like it's now Jude Law Dumbledore, which means, of course, they're trying to cater to the Harry Potter faithful more than just the, the people who like the Wizarding World. I just, I can't decide if I care enough, you know, do I need to see Jude Law as the center of this movie? You know, you know, we've talked about my general disdain for prequels. You know, this is a story that's kind of been told in the the backstory to the Harry Potter books of, you know, well, yeah, you know, Grindelwald rose up and Dumbledore, you know, was his friend when they were boys, but then they were enemies and they had a big duel and Dumbledore won and Grindelwald went to jail. Like, I cool. Now I know the whole plot to the whole thing. Like, I don't know how it happened in the details and stuff. Again, I'm sure the production will be good quality and I'm sure the acting will be fine, but I just don't know if I need to spend you know, 25 bucks to see it in a movie theater or if I can wait, a, a you know, 46 days, as you say, Jaime, to, to wait for it to pop up on HBO and Crave. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I'm mad at J.K. Rowling for saying that she's only going to do the movies and then that's it. That's right? that's the other thing. Well, that and, and just the whole the J.K. Rowling of it, right? Like she's her 
views on trans rights, her views on on um, on all that have really also sort of really poisoned the well on I think a lot of people on mm-hmm. this whole world. And it's funny that I saw an, an article about it this week. They're talking about how they haven't even greenlit the the fourth and fifth parts. It's supposed to be a five part series. Oh yeah. And they haven't even greenlit the fourth and fifth parts because they want to see how this one performs. I, I don't imagine this one wraps the whole story up. So it would be a humongous decision to just discontinue doing the Fantastic Beasts series. Uh, but given the backlash against J.K. Rowling and her views and given the backlash, obviously, that they felt because of the Johnny Depp casting and then obviously just the who cares of it all. I, I'm I'm really curious. I'm really curious to see mm. how this comes together. Mm. Interesting. Cool. Well, mine mine is just sort of a sort of a follow up on a follow up. Um, I did read the book um, Station Eleven. I really loved the um, the, uh, the 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 TV series. Um, the book was okay. Uh, it did. Uh, it was interesting to sort of see the differences between how they treated the the series uh, with the uh, TV series with the, against the book. I mean, there's a lot of like characters and things like that are are similar in in both treatments, but they did um, they did a much better job um, sort of stitching things together in in the TV series. I mean, obviously, you know, you when you're writing a book, you have you know you're sort of you can go any direction you want, but a TV series they have to have certain things that that sort of fit together and um, how characters interrelate. There was there was a whole sort of character relationship between two of the key characters in in the TV series that didn't exist in the book. Um, they do the two characters do meet in the book, but they play a very smaller role. It was a good book; it was enjoyable, but yeah, definitely the TV show was was uh, hands hands down much better than the book itself. So yeah, if, hmm. you're, if you're deciding which way to go, I would uh, I'd skip the book. I mean, the the, the writing <laughs> does seem to be interesting. I would probably try and read some more of her stuff, but um, yeah, definitely the TV show was was much much a much better all round experience, right? And it's short too. Like it felt like it could be longer, but yeah, good. It's sort of a bit of a bit of um, it was pandemic-y. So there was like you know, there's a, there's a pandemic in it. There's you know, sort you know, sort of um, what was that that movie with um, funny name um, from Donnie Darko? Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. The the movie with the the, the disaster movie where he's um, with Amy Rosen in it, and you know, like the the world freezes over. It's kind of like that, plus... Oh, The Day After Tomorrow? Day after It's a bit like A Day After Tomorrow, kind of, you know, surviving in winter. Like, like the pandemic happens, you know, early in winter, so, like, you know, they have to survive winter, uh, just as we normally do in Canada, right? <laughs> Which doesn't feel like a stretch. But if you imagine if all the resources are gone, and the grocery stores are gone, and, and, and there's just, you know, this, this disease going around, you know, killing people, I can't imagine anything parallel to that. But, um... And and a bit of The Walking Dead, you know, and the sort of survival after the apocalypse kind of thing, right? Um, without zombies, no zombies in this one, just people. Pe- people are the worst part in the in The Walking Dead. They're also the worst part in in um, in this as well. Um, yeah, the the TV series was 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 one of the better better things to watch for sure. Oh, and Severance. Uh, just the season finale of Severance was last week, and every episode had ended a cliffhanger. And the cliffhanger that the series, the first season ends on, like, you're like, okay, well, I'm ready for the next episode, but it's not going to be for you a little while. So, yeah, really good ending to Severance. So if you haven't seen Severance, check that one out for sure. Oh, and I'm wanting Slow Dogs is still still cooking along, being really good. Those and you thought you'd have no watch list. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've talked about I talked about slow dogs last week, I think, didn't I? Pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah, sta- yeah, Station Eleven. I highly recommend that. I, I think it's one of the better shows. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely. If whatever whatever service you, you're deciding on, if you want to add that to the calcul the Lopez calculus, definitely. I would uh, <laughs> say that one's worth watching. I'd watch seven. I'd Station Eleven over Secrets of Dumbledore any day. How's that? <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you. Where would they find you? I'm always on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right. My name is Tim Mitra. T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. That is, of course, until Elon Musk buys all of Twitter and yeah, changes all the rules. I know. Look, I'm not really looking forward to that. <laughs> he's so rich. He's, he's the most powerful troll out there on the internet. <laughs> that is, you're right, Jaime. That is the ultimate troll move. Like, I don't like the way this platform works. I'm going to buy it for $46 billion. Yeah. Change the rules. Yeah. That's strange. Like, it's strange that somebody would put them, like, you don't ever hear that on acquisitions and stuff like the mergers. You never see them put the money out there. Like, you know, like, so now we're going to go to, Jack, we're all going to go to Jack Dorsey and say, what's wrong with you? Why can't you accept that? Isn't that enough for you? Well, I mean, Dorsey doesn't even have that many shares, all things being equal now. There's not much he can do about it. Like, yeah. this is now essentially the definition of a hostile takeover. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, um... Yeah, it's it's a weird situation. I, I honestly, I was I found myself thinking about it a lot today. I was I read some pieces, and I, the New York Times did a good podcast about it this morning. But I was like, this is almost a paradigm shift if this happens, because then what happens to my Twitter audience for social media? That's my job at work. You know, is managing. You know, we got you know I don't know it was thirty seven thousand followers on Twitter. If the rules change, what does that do to our work? You know, so yeah, I don't know. It's pretty much this, the social media circus that I like the most, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's funny because his objection is that it's not free enough. My, my position would be that it's perhaps a little too free at times because mm. it's still packed with hate speech and trolling and all kinds of unpleasantness that still continues to be fairly unchecked. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what a, what a strange development. Well, I guess when you have money, you can do anything you want, right? 
Uh, yeah, if you've got 46 bills to drop down, I guess you can do what you want. Well, he is apparently the richest man in the world these days, they say, right? That's, that's what they say. That's what they say. Well, I was trying to figure out how to include uh, the, the the tragic passing of Gilbert Gottfried in our, oh, uh, in our him. pod, but I didn't know. Like I, was, I looked through and I'm like, where does he fit into science fiction, fantasy genre stuff? I'm like, the closest I could come was being Iago and in, in, in Aladdin, but... Yeah. Yeah, still, it's funny because he was just here in Toronto a couple of weeks ago, and in, in, really? uh, in March he came and did a couple of couple of shows. And I saw them advertising. It. I was like, oh, do I want to see Gilbert live? I'm like, I'm not sure that I could sit there and listen to Gilbert for like you know 45 minutes doing his thing. I mean, yeah. I, I love him, and I've I've seen him countless times over the years. Uh, but man, 45 minutes of that man yelling at you with that voice, I'm not sure I could handle that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, he was an icon. I mean, unmistakable. His voice, his whole shtick. I mean, he was he was a comedy a comedy legend. Well, Howard for sure. Stern played a, a sort of compilation of of his appearances, and one of the funny ones was was they they had a caller call in, and the caller kind of got annoyed with them, and uh, so then he he wanted to make his point, and so Gilbert Godfrey went, you know, okay, you got the audience, okay, go ahead, talk, go ahead, say something, okay, we're listening, go ahead, we're listening, go ahead, say what you want, we're listening, come on, uh huh, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, and just over like the, the guy couldn't get it, and you could clearly hear this, you could feel the steam coming out of the guy's head as Gilbert Godfrey was just talking over him, right? It's hilarious, yeah. But yeah. I, I think that voice was also a, a, an act too, because he did, he did, he did a pretty good Jerry Seinfeld at one point in the show. Yeah, well, he did. That was one of his. Uh, apparently, he used to do that in um, in the comedy club. You know, yeah, when they were coming the up things. together. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was let's do that impression. But um, Jerry used to hide and say, "I don't sound like that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the one I'm gonna I'm gonna paste into our our notes that you you guys should watch is. Um, the one that was shared yesterday that made me laugh the hardest was was Weird Al Yankovic. Have you seen the Weird Al, uh, My Imaginary Friend Gilbert? No. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm not sure that I have. It's it's basically, uh, you know, Weird Al's like, answer, pretends to be answering a question from a kid. He's like, you know, I'm going to tell you about my imaginary friend Gilbert. And Gilbert Garfrey's standing beside him and he goes, I'm not imaginary. I'm a real person. It's so funny. Yeah. It is one of my favorite bits with, the, with because the, I'm, I'm a big Weird Al fan too, but that that part has always killed me the uh i'm not imaginary like you imagine an imaginary friend like gilbert Gottfried with that voice no but uh yeah yeah um he is he all time too so uh tim i think you've seen it Jaime, i don't know if you've ever seen there's a documentary that came out oh, the aristocrats. 20 years ago or so called the aristocrats and it's based on this joke that comedians tell each other off stage mm -hmm. and uh how many have you seen it i don't want to explain it if you've seen it i don't hold on let me look it up one sec i may have talked about it on more than just code so the premise is basically there's this joke that comedians tell each other 
and it has the same setup and the same ending, and then the middle is like playing jazz. It's up to the to the individual artist to make up what comes in the middle, and mm-hmm. the object is to be as horrifying as possible. So it's you are deliberately trying to provoke and and anger and upset each other with whatever comes out comes to your mind, as depraved as it can possibly be. Yeah. And so they did this whole documentary where they talked to it must be like fifty or sixty different comedians and had them do their versions of it and talk about just the history of this this joke and Gilbert is an all-time legend in the comedy community for being the guy who did it on stage oh yeah and and they there's a big chunk in in there where they're, they're basically saying like yeah no one would ever have the guts to do that on stage except for Gilbert Gottfried and they show him doing that bit on stage it's because he was bombing this one event and he was like you know what f you guys and he started doing the aristocrats joke and he had the place just in tears with his version of it because it was so over the top so yeah it's uh that one has always stuck with me that you know he's a comedian's comedian they love him and and that moment i think cemented him in the in a real special way for other comedians that this guy was was you know uh, you know among the top of his class unstoppable yeah yeah but if you haven't seen it Jaime, i highly recommend i don't i think tim and i and and my wife went to go see that in the theater no i have a uh, copy of it i it, have a copy of it too but I, I we went and saw it in the theater i don't know if you, you and I, I i know i saw it in the theater and no sherry was there i thought you were there too but I thought I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. I was laughing yeah, so hard. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was so funny. Well, like, I was given a copy of it by, by the, somebody who was on the production. Yeah. So yeah. unbelievably, wildly offensive. Like, not yeah. for the faint of heart. Yeah. It is like Bob vulgar Saget to is, the extreme. Is, like, that's where his reputation came from, was that particular. Yeah. Gilbert Gottfried's a legend in it. Bob Saget, uh, George Carlin. Like, again, it's, it's basically a who's who of yeah, living Hoosler, comedians anybody, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Drew Carey. Like, I mean, everybody's in it. Is Billy Connolly. Like, everybody's in this thing. It is incredible. And I think it was, I want to say it was Penn Jillette that actually was one of the, one of the uh, producers from Penn and Teller. Oh, Jen, yeah. Yeah. Penn Jillette. Yep. Yeah, I can't believe we talked about the aristocrats on uh, Spotcast. Well, you know, you don't have to include it, but yeah. <laughs> not for you, kids. It's not for you. <laughs> no. Ask your parents if you can watch the aristocrats. No, it's not about cats, not anim- animated cats either. Yeah, there's a great sort of follow-up documentary to that one too. That's uh, that's uh, a documentary called F U F U C K. You can spell that one out yourself, kids. Um, that's a documentary about the history of that word and how it's used. The same thing. They basically have this mm, like on right. all-star cast of, of comedians, and they talk about why that word works and why it's so impactful and everything else. Really nice sort of companion piece to the aristocrats. Mm. Yeah, that's on Netflix. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I have, I have a Saget. DVD of that Bob one. Bob Saget hosted that, right? I can't recall now that you mention it. Oh, maybe it's a different one because there, there is there is a Netflix series about. Words. Oh, you mean the the history of swear words? Yeah. That's not Bob Saget. That's uh, Nick Cage. God, Xavier and I watched that. We oh. laughed hysterically. That was really funny because they have the comedians and they also have like the sociologists and the university professors and stuff talking about the history of certain swear words. That was great. Mm. Also, Nick Cage is just he's an insane person, so it's just a lot of fun to watch him be himself. Yeah. He is insane. Yep. That's true. All right. All right, kids. 
All right, Jaime. Have a good long weekend. Yep. Have a good one. All right. See ya. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.